great to have everybody here with us today. And as we celebrate this Christmas season, we're going to do something a little bit different today. And uh, as a part of this today, we're going to introduce another ministry to the church as well. But before we do that, I wanted to take the opportunity to just share a little bit. I mentioned how much I love the Christmas carols and all the tradition that goes with it. Uh, this coming Friday night when we have our Christmas Eve service, uh, I'll share a little bit more, but I will tell you some of the greatest memories I have growing up uh, with Christmas have to do with the church. There were things that we did that it just brought incredible fulfillment to me. Uh, there were, I, I can remember us going to nursing homes and we would share the Christmas story and my uh, pastor at the time, his name was Reverend Charles Beach. I always found it funny. He named his daughter Sandy, Sandy Beach. Reverend Beach, actually, he didn't want us to just read the Christmas story to the people. So what he did instead was he had me memorize Luke chapter 2. And we would go from nursing home to nursing home, and I would share the Christmas story. Of course, at that point, he had no idea that one day the Lord would call me to be a pastor. But that being said, in those moments... There was such fulfillment knowing that you were making a difference in someone else's life. And it is such a privilege for us to be able to celebrate this Christmas season in a place where really we have more freedom than most people around the world would have. Uh, we, we have much to celebrate, but our greatest reason to celebrate is the fact that not just the Lord came to the earth, which we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but the one who came gave his life for us, and today we have hope in life, and we celebrate that. That's what today is all about. So that's not really my message, but I just wanted to share that this morning. And uh, actually, in 1998, there was an anonymous donor who gave a marketing agency $150,000, an advertising campaign entitled God Speaks. His desire was to reach people who had drifted away from their faith. So really, it wasn't so much about those who were, uh, were completely outside of the body of Christ, but those who maybe they grew up in the church. Maybe at some point or another, they heard the truth, but they just kind of wandered away. I don't know if they just got too busy or distracted or something bad happened, and they just kind of fell out of the habit of going to church and acting like the body of Christ. But their goal was to reach those who perhaps they should know the truth. The campaign created such a positive response that the Outdoor Advertising Association of America picked it as its public service program for the year, and they began running ads on 10,000 billboards in 200 cities nationwide. So you had this initial investment of 150,000, but then basically it was so successful that this advertising agency said, we're going to put it basically everywhere. Here are some of the spiritual sayings that they put on their billboards. Wherever you go, there I am. That is a clear reference to God and how he had dressed his own name. You remember Moses said, who shall I tell them is sending me? He said, tell them I am is sending you. And then Jesus even referred to himself as I am. Second one was that love thy neighbor thing. I meant it. A third one, keep using my name in vain. 
and I'll make rush hour longer. Don't make me come down there. Actually, I found that one a little bit humorous. Aren't you glad that we do have a God who speaks to us? While these sayings may be catchy and they're designed to get people to think, we need to know two things. First, God has already been speaking to humanity, making promises that he fully intends to keep for centuries. And second, God has come down here when he sent his son Jesus at Christmas. The promise that God had been making was for a Messiah to come. I had uh, the Keaton family read earlier from Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 where we are told that this Messiah would come in the form of an infant child born to a virgin and he would be called Emmanuel which literally being translated means God with us. Now it should be noted that this promise is recorded more than 400 years prior to the birth of Christ. This was not something that someone heard about the story of Jesus and then they went back and edited Isaiah, but rather Isaiah had been in written form for 400 years. I've heard some skeptics who would argue that the story of Christ is all too convenient. Perhaps people knew of the prophecies, so they tried to make things fit perfectly, perhaps even adjusting the story so that it lined up with what the prophets had foretold. Well, the truth is there are some things that they probably could have manipulated to fit, but the story of a virgin being with child is not one of them. You cannot make up what actually happened. It cannot be just a coincidence. It seems too unbelievable unless it's actually true. Well, one of the questions that comes to my mind is why would such a prophecy be given in the first place? Perhaps a part of this is simply to confirm that what we're seeing truly is of God when it is being fulfilled. Have you ever had someone tell you, well, I knew that that was going to happen? Of course, they didn't tell anybody about their expectations until it actually took place. So their prophetic expectations actually just sound like pathetic expectations. The reality is they're Monday morning quarterbacks and they can tell you what they knew was going to happen even before it happened, but actually they waited till after it happened. But what if someone had written down these prophetic words years earlier when they actually come true the way that they are prophesied? That would mean something to us. And that's what we see in the words of Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. The virgin will be with child, and that virgin will give birth to a Messiah, and that Messiah will save the world. By the way, there have been many who have prophesied throughout the years, but not all prophets have shown themselves to be valuable. For example, perhaps the most notable of names in prophecy was a Frenchman by the name of Nostradamus. There are those who would swear by his prophecies, yet there is a problem. Upon a scholarly review, it has been noted that no Nostradamus prophecy is known to have been interpreted as predicting a specific event before it occurred, other than in vague general terms that could, could equally apply to any number of other events. In other words, 
He's never prophesied anything that actually came true, unless you just want to be so generic. It would be like me saying, you know, I, I feel like it's going to rain somewhere today. Well, there's a pretty good chance it's going to happen. That's generic enough, and you can believe it's probably correct. Doesn't sound very profound, though, does it? But the promises regarding the coming Messiah are specific, and they're unique. It doesn't take a genius to see that Jesus perfectly fulfills the promises and when he would come and where he would come and what family he would come and what he would do and what he would experience. All these words are spoken to us hundreds of years earlier and Jesus perfectly fulfills the promises. In fact, Isaiah wasn't the only one to receive prophetic words of hope regarding this Christ child. Even in the days leading up to Jesus' birth, Luke 2 reveals that God had been dropping hints to others about what was to come. In fact, I want to read a few verses from Luke 2, verse 25 to 32. In this passage, we hear of two individuals, one by the name of Simeon and then another Anna. Now, I'm going to focus specifically on Simeon. Anna's story actually begins just after Simeon's story, but I want to focus on the message that is given to Simeon. In Luke 2, verse 25, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. You got to wonder how long Simeon had to sit on this promise. How long did he have to wait to see this promise fulfilled? It doesn't tell us when the Lord had spoken to him. It simply says that the Lord had told him that you will not die before you see this Messiah come, that you will see the hope, the thing you've been looking for. How long did he have to wait to see this promise fulfilled? A year? Two years? Five years? I imagine that he probably felt like he couldn't wait for the promise to be fulfilled. In fact, I even wonder, did he try to tell other people about the fulfillment of this promise? How many other people did he share this good news with? Well, if he shared it with anybody, they didn't listen. We're told that at the birth of Jesus, that the only people who showed up were Shepherds who had been keeping watch of their flocks out in the fields nearby. There were a few wise men who will show up as well. But the truth is there weren't any Jews who came running because the Messiah had come. If Simeon shared this with anybody, nobody was listening. It's almost like Noah 
when Noah knew that the judgment of God was about to come, and here he is, he is preaching righteousness. He's trying to rescue as many people as possible. But no one listened because no one was interested. What are you doing building a boat out in the middle of a desert? Well, the Lord's about to send a flood because he's going to judge humanity. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's good. Nobody believed any of it. Well, here we have Simeon. He has this great promise of a Messiah that would come, and it would seem as if no one is listening. But imagine the joy the day that Simeon experienced the fulfillment of this promise. Imagine the excitement that he had. You can read it in there as he took the child in his arms and immediately began to praise the Lord for what he had done and what he was going to do. There was a sense of excitement and overwhelming grace knowing that the best hope we've ever had is sitting right in front of us. This leads to the second reason for God giving the promise of coming of a coming Messiah. It wasn't just to confirm that this Christ child really is of God. That was probably a part of it. 400 years earlier, these scriptures had been written. But the second part of this is God gave this promise because he knew that the world needed hope. He saw the desperation and the brokenness of the world, and he knew that his intervention would be necessary to fix that brokenness. Imagine the hope that such a promise would bring. The Messiah is coming. I know you're overwhelmed by sin and the brokenness and ugliness of our world, but God will make his dwelling among you. And what an incredible message of hope. Yes, we're broken, and yes, there are things that are not right about us, but God is about to come and make his dwelling among us. There is hope. I suggest to you today that we still find hope in the promise of our Messiah. In just a moment, I'm going to ask Colby and his Celebrate Recovery team to come up and share just a little bit about what Celebrate Recovery is really about. But before they do, I want you to understand a few things. First, I want you to know that the brokenness of our world is the direct result, not of addiction, not of what others have done to us. The brokenness of our world is a direct result of sin. It shows up in different ways. But what it really comes down to is the fact that sin leads to various forms of hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And the goal of Celebrate Recovery is not to get people free from addiction. It is to introduce people to Jesus Christ thereby also helping them find healing and freedom from addiction. Someone asked me why I'm going to give them time in this service, why I want them to share now. I mean, this is the week before Christmas. I imagine I could have given them some other time on the calendar to share about Celebrate Recovery. But the truth is that I'm giving them this time slot because this is incredibly important stuff. For years, I've personally seen One of the greatest human needs is addiction recovery. I've seen families that have lost loved ones. I'm tired of doing those kinds of funerals. I've seen families fall apart. 
I'm tired of participating in those kinds of conversations with spouses and children. I've seen countless lives ruined by addiction. I'm tired of seeing people who have the potential to change the world become statistics falling into the trap of sin. It's time for the church to intentionally offer hope to those trapped by addiction. In fact, it's past time. Let me, let me let you in on a little something that I hadn't shared up until a couple weeks ago, but Kadar can confirm it because he did not have to deal with it in recent weeks. It was just over five years ago that I felt God telling me that we needed an addiction recovery ministry at Trinity. Immediately, because I had worked previously with Celebrate Recovery, I went and I ordered the startup kit from their website. It's about a $400 purchase. We didn't have anybody to lead it. We didn't have a plan in place, but I knew that God would provide in his time. Well, five years later, that is coming into being. I will tell you that Celebrate Recovery is an imperfect program, and it will be led by imperfect people, but it is a tool that I have seen work many times over to change the lives of other people. Sure, there are other 12-step programs that are out there, but what makes this unique from other programs is that we recognize that we don't just have a higher power. We have one higher power who is greater than any struggle we could ever face, and his name is Jesus. And that's what Celebrate Recovery to me is about. That's why we're doing this here at the church. I'm going to turn it over to Colby and his team. They're going to come up and I think they're going to sit up here on these stools maybe or seats. I don't know. Anyways, they're going to tell you a little bit about what we're going to be doing. All right, while they're getting situated, I just want to thank uh, you guys. I want to thank Pastor Mike for this opportunity. Um, you wouldn't believe how many um, rock, paper, scissors sessions I had to win to be able to, to, to do this. And so it was a lot. A lot of rock, paper, scissors I had to win there. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, but I just want to thank you guys for this opportunity to, to present to you um, Celebrate Recovery uh, that is starting very, very soon. Uh, actually, just about two weeks away now. Uh, January 4th will be here uh, before we know it. And... It'll, it'll go through in a breeze. Uh, there's Christmas and New Year's right around the corner. Uh, so, yeah. But I just want to introduce myself. My name is Colby Calloway, and I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who happens to struggle with uh, pornography, uh, the depression, anxiety, um, anger, uh, bitterness, and the list can keep going. Uh, and many of the people, uh, folks behind me struggle with some of the same things. Um, and you, if you decide they want to talk to them, they can tell you a little bit about it. But, and also, just to get it out the way, uh, we're not a cult. I know we all got matching shirts and everything and matching symbols. Uh, I just want to make sure you were not thinking that. Uh, we're not a cult. So, <laughs> yeah. And so what is Celebrate Recovery? Uh, I've been asked that several times by numerous people in this room and, and within the congregation and, and, in, and within the community. Uh, so just to kind of give you a straightforward answer, Celebrate Recovery, if you don't know already, is a, is a biblical, biblically balanced 12-step program that incorporates uh, 
the words of God, the words of Jesus into its program that allows for people to experience a, a joy and a hope and a, and a life of holiness uh, and free them of the, whether their addiction, whatever hurt, habit, or hang-up it may be. And then sub recovery is not just for addictions. Uh, it's for anything, really. It can be a shopping addiction. It can be an online gaming addiction. It can be for uh, anything that you possibly can name of. Uh, Celebrate Recovery is for you. And it is put in place many, many years ago in which my wife, Taylor, she will share uh, just a, a brief history of Celebrate Recovery. But it is for people to help them overcome these hurts, habits, and hang-up. Through the only one who can actually free them from these hurts, habits, or hang-up, which is Jesus Christ. Not a higher power, but like Pastor Mike said, the higher power. And before we actually dive in today, I want to introduce to you what is called the team. Uh, and actually, I had put together some beautiful slides for you to keep your attention, but we're having technical difficulties this morning, so uh, you guys will just have to look at my beautiful face. So, yes. Um, so first off, we have the training coach which is Becky James right here. If you want to stand up and, and give a nice little uh, wave like you're in the parade. There you go. Yes. And so Becky, what her job is, she conducts new leader training in ongoing newcomers orientation. And so she, as people decide they want to volunteer and be leaders when Celebrate Recovery, she conducts the training. She's the one that kind of raises them up and makes sure they are equipped and, and to lead in a, in a good way and in a way that honors God and in a way that honors the principles of suburb recovery because uh, though it is run like a normal church service, there are a lot of things that are different and have to be put in place. Um, next, we have the encouraging coaches, which are Laura and Sonia. If you guys want to stand up and give a nice wave as well. So Laura and Sonia, their tasks are to provide and oversee the shepherding care of all who are within suburb recovery. And so they actually have a big task. And then next is my wife, Taylor. She is the, what is called the assimilation coach. Uh, there you go. So she is responsible for the promotion of Celebrate Recovery, for the promotion here, uh, the promotion within the community, and with, around the world. That she is to promote Celebrate Recovery to the world and the surrounding communities. Uh, much like the Great Commission. And then lastly, I am the M in the team, which is called the ministry leader. I oversee all that is happening within Celebrate Recovery. Um, so, yeah. And then next we have the women's and men's small group leaders, which are Kevin and Beth. If you guys want to stand up wherever you're at, there you go. And so they actually have one of the most important tasks within Celebrate Recovery, and they are leading the small groups. Small groups is kind of where, uh, I guess we like to say, the magic happens. It's where people spill their lives, uh, things that they are dealing with. And Kevin and Beth, they are the ones responsible in ministering to these people, to showing them the hope and, and to walking with them through the steps to take, to find freedom and hope and joy and a new life in Christ. And then next I am going to Turn it over to my wife, who is going to uh, give you a brief history of Celebrate Recovery, because many of you know it and heard what it is, but not many of you know how actually it started, and I think it's important for you all to know, 
that this is just not just some off-the-cuff program, but this is a program that started many, many years ago through lots of prayer and, um, and the, the, the church uh, coming together and, um, and helping out uh, people in need, uh, like all of us. So, Good morning. My name is Taylor. I'm Colby's wife, like he mentioned several times. <laughs> um, so I'm going to read you guys a little bit of the history. Um, we think that that's important that you know kind of where Celebrate Recovery started and where it came from. Um, so Celebrate Recovery starts with a gentleman by the name of John Baker. John grew up in a Christian home located in the small town of Collinsville, Illinois, with a population of about 10,000. He gave his life to God at the age of 13 and was convicted to enter the life of ministry when he was 16. But there was a problem. John never felt like he was good enough for anyone else, and therefore, how could he be good enough to serve God? During his college years at the University of Missouri, he joined a fraternity and discovered what he believed to be the answer to all his hurts, alcohol. After his first drink, he finally felt like he fit in and was good enough. John met and married his wife, Cheryl, in his senior year. During the, during the Vietnam War, John joined the Air Force and learned to act like an officer and drink like a gentleman. After the war, he joined the Scott Paper Company and had two children, Laura and Johnny. With eight promotions in the first 11 years of his business career, John, from the outside, seemed to be on top of the world. With all the business success came several relocations of his family. Attending church became less and less important. John was also becoming uncomfortable with his lifestyle, business practices, and priorities. John was making unhealthy choices that were hurting the people he loved. His drinking further increased, and John turned his back completely on God. Proverbs 14:12 says, Before every man there lies a wide and pleasant road that seems right but ends in death. With mounting frustrations, Cheryl asked John to go to counseling or to leave. Much to her surprise, he left and started a 13-month separation. John's life was out of control, and he didn't have the power to stop it on his own. While on a business trip that October, John woke up and knew that he couldn't take another drink, but he also knew he couldn't live without one. Finally, he had hit rock bottom. John went to 90 AA meetings in 90 days and started straightening his life out. During a visit with his children, they asked him to attend a church service with them at Saddleback. He agreed to attend even though he hadn't stepped foot in a church for over five years. There he knew he was home. Cheryl and John earnestly worked on their issues, and five months later, they renewed their wedding vows. Here is where most would say the feel-good story ends, but in this case, it's where Celebrate Recovery starts. John had joined a small group at church and continued to attend AA meetings. In the church small group, he felt like he couldn't share about his struggles with alcohol because they didn't want to go that deep. And in the AA meetings, he was mocked when he shared that his higher power was, his only true, was the only true higher power, Jesus Christ. 
John could not find a safe place to share the victories and freedoms over his past sin of alcohol that Christ was giving him. So in 1991, John wrote the senior pastor of Saddleback Church, Rick Warren, a short, concise, 13-page, single-spaced letter outlining the vision God had given him of Celebrate Recovery. The recovery program would be Christ-centered and based on the Bible. He knew surely he wasn't the only one dealing with pain in their church. The vision God gave him was to create a safe place that not only alcoholics could go to for support, but a place for codependents, people with eating disorders, those struggling with sexual addictions, anger, those dealing with past or current physical or sexual abuse, those in need of financial recovery, and many, many more. In short, anyone dealing with any kind of hurt, habit, or hang-up. After Pastor Rick Warren had read the letter, he called John into his office and said, Great, John, you do it. <laughs> Since Celebrate Recovery started in 1991, over 21,000 people at Saddleback have completed the program. The program has expanded to 10 countries, over 30,000 churches, and over 500,000 individuals have completed the program. As an example of that, I do want to call Becky up. She is going to share a short testimony of what, um, of how Celebrate Recovery has helped her. As you can see, I'm the oldest one in the group. That has to be helped. <laughs> Good morning. My name is Becky, and I am a committed follower of Jesus Christ who struggles with anger, which usually manifests itself in irritability and impatience. I also struggle with control and depression. I was involved in the Celebrate Recovery from 2008 to 2018 in Florida. When the decision was made to start a Celebrate Recovery at Trinity, I wanted to be a part because of the changed lives in others and myself that I have experienced. My initial reason for participating in a Celebrate Recovery was because I was asked to be on the leadership team. I also had been through traumatic, life-changing experiences, circumstances that began in 2003. I never dreamed at the time that there would be women coming through the doors of our Celebrate Recovery who would need someone like me who could understand what they were going through, but God sent them one after another during those 10 years. To be totally transparent this morning, unless things had happened as they did, I would never have walked into a Celebrate Recovery. I wasn't one of those people. Because of my personality and life experiences, I had never been in trouble or acted out in rebellion. But God knew what my issues were and that I needed to work on purifying my inner life. Up until recovery, my spiritual life 
had been performance driven and that wasn't difficult for me to do. But working on my inner life was much more difficult. For the first time, I began to realize that the scripture in Romans 2 about transforming my mind was much more important than I realized. It meant that I needed to consistently monitor my thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, Take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Then I have a decision to make. Toss the thought out or not. I must toss out what is not obedient to Christ before it filters into my words and actions. As I began to inventory my life, I realized that I tolerated and left unchecked those sins I could, for the most part, hide from others. A few of those were a critical spirit, gossip, judgmentalism, pride, and self-reliance. You see, I am one of those people, and I'm thankful to be identified as such. There are two scriptures that I want us to hear this morning that reminds me of the importance of this ministry. 2 Corinthians 1.4 says, God comes alongside us when we go through hard times, and before we know it, he brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. James 5.16 says, Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other so that you can live together whole and healed. Those who are leaders in this type of ministry, we do not wear the hats of fixer, counselor, or psychologist. Our main responsibility is to listen and point people to Jesus and his truth, not our opinions. As leaders, we continue to work on our own recovery and character defects. We also keep ourselves accountable and transparent to one another. I am deeply thankful for the ongoing, deepening relationship I have with my Heavenly Father. It is life-changing. Please pray for us. This is not an easy ministry to run. And we must have God's power in our own lives as we give out to others. Thank you for letting me share. To God be all the glory for what will be accomplished in this ministry, in this place. Becky's our team mama. She's also a rock star. Don't let her fool you. <laughs> uh, so as you've heard uh, from a couple of different people so far today, um, the thing that sets Celebrate Recovery apart from other 12-step uh, programs and recovery programs is the central focus on the gospel. Uh, our number one priority um, is to bring people to Christ. You can fix people's addictions all day. You can cure people's hurts all day, but if you don't point them to Christ, you're, not, you're only giving them a temporary solution. 
Um, and so Celebrate Recovery has uh, eight recovery principles at, that go hand in hand with the 12 steps. And each one of those is reflected um, and paired with scripture. And so Beth and I are going to read through the, the eight principles as well as the 12 steps that go hand in hand, um, starting with... I'll read the principles. First is realize I am not God. I admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and that my life has become unmanageable. The scripture that pairs with this Matthew 5, 3, it says, happy are those that know they are spiritually poor. And step one says, we admitted that we were powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors, that our lives had become unmanageable. Romans seven eighteen says, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover. Matthew 5, 4 says, happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Step two is that we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Consciously choose to commit all of my life and will to Christ's care and control. Matthew 5.5 5 says, Happy are the meek. Step three, we made a decision to turn our lives and our wills over to the care of God. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. I openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. Happy are the pure in heart, is Matthew 5.8. Step four says we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Lamentations 3.40 says let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. Step five says we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. James 5.16 says therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I voluntarily submit to any and all changes God wants to make in my life, and I humbly ask him to remove my character defects. Matthew 5, 6 says, Happy are those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires. Step 6 is we were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. James 4, 10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Step seven is we humbly ask him to remove all of our shortcomings. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Evaluate all of my relationships, offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me, and make amends for harm I've done to others when possible, except when to do so would harm them or others. Matthew 5, 7 says, happy are the merciful, and Matthew 5, 9 says, happy are the peacemakers. Step 8, we made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Luke 6, 31, do unto others as you would have them do to you. And step 9 says, we made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Matthew 5, 23 and 24 says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there, remember that your brother has something against you. 
Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. I reserve a daily time with God for self-examination, Bible reading, and prayer in order to know God and his will for my life and to gain the power to follow his will. Step 10, we continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, we promptly admitted it. 1 Corinthians 10:12 says, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Step 11, we sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I yield myself to God to be used to bring this good news to others, both by my example and by my words. Matthew 5.10 says, Happy are those who are persecuted because they do what God requires. Step 12 is having had a spiritual experience as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to others and practice these principles in all of our affairs. Galatians 6.1 says, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore them gently, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Hi, good morning. Um, my name is Laura, and I am spiritually devoted to Christ, and I struggle with codependency, anger, and fear. Um, go ahead. Hey, um, I'm Sonia, and I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I struggle with drugs, alcohol, um, pornography, and depression. We are reaching out for ways that all of you may help us um, as we lead this ministry. Um, the biggest thing that you can do every day from now till forever is to pray and I use the acronym PUSH which means pray until something happens. Um, we're leading people towards Christ um, and once you become a part of Celebrate Recovery you become part of a forever family and so we need anyone, anyone and everyone's help um, to make this a successful endeavor and so the first thing we, we are asking you guys to do is to pray um, for this for the leadership team um, for the celebrate recovery program um, the second thing that we are asking for in the way of help is for child care um, anybody that is available to help with the children of the individuals that come, whether it be the leadership team's children or the individuals that come for the program themselves that have children, um, we're asking for your assistance with the child care and you will have to pass a, a criminal background check in order to work with the children. A lot of the people who do come <clears throat> or that want to come may not be able to because of child care and that holds them back from being able to come and to learn how to overcome. So that's definitely uh, one of the higher things besides prayer that we need if you don't. Um, the third thing, our meals, we do provide a meal at the start of um, every Tuesday night. And so we are asking for um, people to provide meals um, 
for for this ministry. They can be home cooked meals. They can be purchased. Um, whatever your calling is and wherever God leads you. Um, the fourth thing is for music. We would love to have a quote unquote live band to perform the music. We do very upbeat music um, to keep people's spirits spirits lifted um, and to keep them up, upbeat. Um, so if you play an instrument or you have, you know, a good vocal um, vocal cord, you know, and, and can sing for us, that would be awesome um, so that we don't have to use recorded music. The, um, the next thing is um, we greet everyone as they come in the door um, to make them feel welcome, to make them not feel like an outsider, to know that once they step foot in the doors that they are becoming part of a forever family. And we do um, love to put faces with names, um, but we do first thing when they walk through the doors, love to have somebody to greet them. That being said, we also need help with security because we want to keep all of our children involved in the program and all of the people that are involved in the program safe throughout you know, the, um, the length of the program. The final thing um, is to help with setup and tearing down. Um, it takes a lot of time um, to set everything up for this program and to tear it back down so that um, Trinity can proceed with you know, regular services and Bible studies and, and everything else they have going on. Um, so we, we do need you know, some help with setting up and tearing down. Um, and finally, I'll go back to the, the first thing that, um, that we are requesting to please, please pray. January 4th is you know, the, the launch, it's the first day. Um, and just pray for the program, pray for this team up here. Um, it's a lot of work, but all of us are ready um, and willing to see what, what God's gonna make happen in, in this endeavor. Thank you for your time. Yes, like Laura said, thank you for your time, and uh, I'm just going to round us out here and, and close us out and let you guys go and go to Sunday school because I have to teach, and, and we have another service uh, at 1130. Uh, but yes, and so in your bulletins, actually, there is a, there's a sheet, there's a full sheet of paper with just some more information about what Celebrate Recovery is, uh, and I made that all for you guys so that way you have something in your hands that you could take home with you. Uh, you can put it on your refrigerator, you can hand it to somebody, hand it to a neighbor or a friend. And then lastly, there is a uh, volunteer card. It's very small. I'm sorry, you might have to get your spectacles out to read it or whatever that you use. Um, but if you want to volunteer, wherever the Lord leads you in that, uh, fill out that card and, uh, and give it to us. Uh, we'll be out at the table right here on your right uh, as you depart. And uh, thank you for your grace this morning. Not all of us are elegant speakers, and not all of us like being in front of people to talk. Uh, so thank you for your grace. And may the, the peace and grace of God be with you throughout this week as you go and celebrate your Christmas. Uh, don't forget our Christmas Eve service at 6 o'clock uh, on Christmas Eve the 24th, uh, not the 25th. <laughs> and, so, uh, and then be with us again on the 26th. Uh, I'll be preaching, and so... Whether that lets you know if you want to come or not, I don't know. Um, uh, but I'm going to pray for us, and then we can be dismissed.
Heavenly Father, uh, I just come before you this morning, and uh, we all humbly come before you. And Lord, we first off give you thanks. We give you thanks for another Sunday, another day to, to worship and glorify you. And I pray that that is exactly what has happened this morning, Lord, that you have been glorified in every single way. And I pray for anyone in this room or online or in the community who may be hurting, who may be struggling, who may be in a dark place and they see nowhere to go, that, Lord, you would intervene some way, somehow, whether it's from a friend or a family member. Maybe it's a stranger. Maybe it's a voice from you. But, Lord, that you would intervene and let them know that they want to keep traveling down this dark path, whether it's pornography, whether it's alcoholism, whether it's drugs, whether it's codependency, whether it's anger, depression, you name it. All of these, Father, are a result of sin. Sin that has happened many, many years ago. Sins that we have committed against you, a holy and righteous God. But as we celebrate this Christmas Eve, the birth of your son, we are reminded that we can be set free from this sin because you sent a savior for us. And I pray that we remember that this morning, that you sent your son for us in a manger from the Virgin Mary to die for us. We thank you, Father, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all this morning. Go in the grace and peace of Christ.